I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I put a title on the board. It doesn't even make any sense to most people, but it's the truth. Hanukkah is throwing Christmas out of the temple of God. Predestination is getting rid of the God of self out of the temple of God, which temple ye are. Predestination and Hanukkah are the same thing. You can just say predestination is equal to Hanukkah. Now, I've got two books I want to show you. I got one called Between the Testaments. This this is part of the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha or the Pseudopigrapha. Pseudopigrapha comes from pseudo, meaning false. Let me write it up on the board. Pseuda. P-S-E-U-D-A. P-S-E-U-D-A. Pigrapha. P-I-G-R-A-P-H-A. Pseudo means false. And graphe here, G-R-A-P-H-E, that is the word write, W-R-I-T-E, in the Greek. So this means false writings. It doesn't mean that nobody wrote them. <laughs> they did write them. You've got all kinds of books in there. You've got the uh, Mo- the Assumption of Moses, and you have the uh, uh, the Book of Enoch, the Book of Tobit, T-O-B-I-T, and you have the Book of Barnabas, and you've got, or the Epistle of Barnabas. You've got all these other books. You've got the Assumption of Moses. The Assumption of Moses says one of the same things that you find in the Book of Jude. Jude. There's nothing wrong with looking at the pseudepigrapha. It's mostly history. But history is not necessarily the inspired Word of God. So, some will call it the Apocrypha, A-P-O. Apocrypha, C-H-R-A-P-H-A. Apocrypha uh, is this same thing as the pseudepigrapha. The Roman Catholics put this in the Roman Catholic Bible. They put the... There's another name for Between the Testaments. Between the Testaments is from the time about 397 B.C. That's just about the time that Malachi... Malachi prophesied his prophecies. It's the last book of the Bible. And you've got until Jesus... You've got approximately 400 silent years. 400 silent years. Except they're not silent in history. You've got the Maccabees... The Maccabees happens in that time period, particularly between 166 to 164 B.C. That's when the Maccabees... The Maccabees comes from the uh, Hasmonean dynasty. 
Hasmonean Hasmonean dynasty is about the family of a man named Judas Maccabeus. There's nothing wrong with getting getting between the testaments. It's historical account of some of the things that happened between the Old and the New Testament during those 400 biblically silent years. It's not silent when it comes to history. Now, I've got this other book. I've got a book on exploring the book of Daniel. I halfway recommend this. What I mean by that, I recommend one writer, John Phillips, but I do not recommend Jerry Vines. Why did they write a book together? Well, John Phillips was probably trying to make headway getting his book read. Jerry Vines was one of the big uh, super presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention. He wrote the first seven pages of this, and I wouldn't give you a nickel for his commentaries. But Mr. Mr. Phillips wrote the very last part. He is a fantastic historian. I mean, just unbelievable historian. He messed himself up by writing with Jerry Vines. I wouldn't give you anything for Jerry Vines. He's a used to pastor a big Southern Baptist church down in Georgia, but he's got some information that I want to share with you. Now, this between the Testaments was about Hanukkah. Hanukkah means festival of lights. It's when the temple was cleansed. I'll say that very time, very very many times through this teaching. It's when the temple was cleansed of filth. There's a man that we're going to look at, Antiochus. A N T I O C H A S. Notice the word Antioch is in that. In fact, you had two Antiochs. You had one. Let me get the right map over here. Uh, here it is. Get the right map. You had an Antioch in Asia, and you had an Antioch in Syria. And that's because of Antiochus. You had an Antioch up here. That's where Paul went on one of his first missionary journeys. At the Antioch up in the middle of Turkey is, that's called, that's in Galatia. Galatia is a state and right in the middle of Turkey. When Paul was writing to the other churches like Ephesus, he was writing to a city. He's writing to Galatia. He's writing to a state. And he's writing, and the cities in the state of Galatia was Antioch, Iconium, Derby, and Lystra. And that's where he went on his first missionary journey, was to those places. And then you have an Antioch. Look here. Got an Antioch over here. That's up in the edge of Syria. And you have one up here that's not named. That's where Paul went. So Antiochus, Antioch comes from Antiochus. And you had Antiochus the God, Antiochus the Great. 
and Antiochus Antiochus the 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 God he called himself the Antiochus the God he was a pill right there Antiochus the God not big G-O-D little G-O-D Antiochus the God is the Old Testament the Old Testament picture of what most people call the Antichrist because of what he did there's a story about how him I'd like to give it to you and uh, he offers he defiles defiles the temple of God there is so much to this story if I can inject from time to time various facts on this story because he is the picture of a man who will rise at the end of time but let me remind you Antichrist is only mentioned in first and second John the Bible says even now are there many Antichrist anti means in opposition to or instead of and what does it take to be antichrist first john 2:22 says he that denieth christ is antichrist denieth is the word a r n e o m a i or neomai means to contradict if you quote romans 8:29 to somebody and he says, I don't like that, and I don't believe that. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. What he's saying is, I'm disagreeing with God, and he is Antichrist. You are Antichrist if you contradict the Word of God. If I quote something to you and say, I don't like that, and I don't believe that. I've had people actually say that to me about predestination. I don't believe that. One of them was my own mother. She said, don't you talk to me about that, Jimmy. I won't have that in a car with me. Well, but what they mean, they mean the man of sin. Man of sin will head up a world order. When I first heard George Bush Sr. talk about a new world order. I went, whoa! I mean, it shocked me because I knew what that meant. It meant a world ruling system. The beast, the beast in the Old Testament was Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. That was the beast. Persia, Greece, and Rome. But there was a king over that. And there'll be a man who will make all things in the world look good, and it won't be Joe Biden. because He's not making anything look good. It'll be somebody that'll put the charm. Charm is what is devastating to the believer's life. 
There are people that are charming. When somebody comes on real innocent or very charming, I don't trust them. If they don't ever say anything plain, they defend everything they do, even when they're lying and they're cheating, don't trust them. I don't trust somebody who's nice all the time. If you don't ever get angry, you don't have any principle. I'm angry at these false teachers. The Bible commands me to be angry. Be angry at the winds of doctrine that make the church past feeling. Past feeling is the word apalgeo, A-P-A-L-G-E-O. Apalgeo means apathetic. They don't care. When you listen to too many winds of doctrine, you get into a place of apathy. Apathy comes from the word pathos. means something with pain in it. Pain. The alpha in front of pathos translates apathy. It means no feeling. And that's what scorpions do. They inject you with a venom where you can't feel anything. Scorpions are false teachers. Now, I want to get into this. This was about a family. There was there was a war going on in the middle of these 400 years. It was going on. Let me, let me erase this. I'm going to erase this title because I'm going to go into that. Predestination and Hanukkah are about the same thing. God has predestined us to conform to his likeness and get rid of the, the idol of self, our, our own name, our own will. And that's what Hanukkah was, out, was about, was throwing self out of the temple. Now, what this is about, in 166, 166, B.C. The temple in Jerusalem was defiled by Antiochus Epiphanes. From to 164, and the day that it was cleansed, believe it or not, the day that the temple was cleansed was on the day of the god of Antiochus' birthday, December the 25th. That's the day they threw Christmas out of the temple. People think Hanukkah and Christmas belong together. They're complete opposites at the end of the universe. Total opposites. Now, this was a family. It was The family was... It was called the Hasmonean Dynasty. These men that were living at this time, Hasmonean, Dynasty. The Hasmonean Dynasty. Where that came from? Mattathias. Mattathias was the father of five sons. Mattathias in Israel 
He had five sons, and here they are. Let me give them to you. He had John. He had John called G-A-D-D-I. And then he had Simon. Simon. And he was called Thassi. T-H-A-S-S-I. And then he had Judas called Maccabeus. He's the guy we know most in this up uh, up uh, in this in this cleansing of the temple, Judas Maccabeus. He was called Maccabeus. That's why we call this the Maccabeans, M A C C A B E A N S is another name for between the testaments. And it was taken after his name because Judas Maccabeus was the leader of that family. He was he was called the hammer. That's what Maccabeus means because he was a fighter. The hammer. He was the one that was responsible more than anybody else for cleansing the temple on December the 25th, the birthday of their sun god in Jerusalem and then you had Eliezer Eliezer called Avaran A-V-A-R-A-N and then you had one more Jonathan Jonathan Got a grandson named Jonathan. Jonathan called Aphus. A P P H U S. Then the father of these was Mattathias. His great grandfather was a man named Asmonius. A S A M O N A I O S. Asmonius, that's where we get the has this is the great grandfather of Mattathias. Great grandfather. And that's why we call this the Hasmonian Dynasty. I'm sure that the H is not there because these are a bunch of Jews and they didn't use the H's back then, so it'd be Asmonian or Asmonaeus. It'd be his dynasty, and these are the sons. And here's the man responsible more than anybody else, Judas Maccabeus, for this for this great revolt against the Roman Empire, but particularly against particularly against the the uh, uh, the Antiochus was head of the Syrians. Antiochus was you've heard me say this when Alexander the Great died Alex Great died died he died in approximately 323 
B.C. That's approximate. He ruled for 12 years, somewhere around 335 B.C. He died here. Some say that they believe he was killed by one of his generals. Now, there's a man that that has... Uh, when Alexander the Great died, this is where all this Hanukkah started. When Alex the Great died, he left, he had these generals. He had Antigonus, A-N-T-I-G-O-N-A-S. And that's not mentioned. He's not mentioned in prophecy. He was an enemy to the four super generals of Alex the Great. And his generals were Seleucus. And out of Seleucus would come all of the Antiochus people. Once they started naming them themselves Antiochus, they'd have Antiochus I, Antiochus II, Antiochus III, and so forth. When they had Seleucus, they had solutions. Then they had... They had Seleucus. When I think of Seleucus, I think of that nation right there. That is, it's right above Israel to the east of Israel. That's Syria. That's where he was. The he and Alexander the Great left all of his empire to whoever could take it over. He had a wife. She had a son by previous marriage. When he died, the son was supposed to take over, but Cassander, one of the generals that was left in charge of Alex the Great's empire, had her killed and her son killed. And then the four generals started fighting for the right to rule his empire. They never had quite an empire by definition of Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, but they were trying to raise an empire and they were fighting each other all the time. Then you had Cassander, Lysacomus, and then they had uh, Lysacomus, Ptolemy. guy that was trying to take over everything was Seleucus under the names of Antiochus. Remember Antiochus Epiphanes, he was the second Antiochus. When Seleucus died, he left he left the empire to, to Antiochus the first. He called himself Antiochus the Great the great he had a lot of ambition and he wanted to they wanted to run over everybody in their way the Syrian uh, the Antiochus here of Syria wanted to come over here and conquer what was called Asia Minor that was west. That was East, western Turkey and he wanted to attack everybody around him he wanted to go down here and attack Egypt 
That was the very purpose of Hanukkah when he wanted to attack Egypt. And the Rome was actually ruling the world. Rome at this time was ruling the world. While these four generals are trying to up in the air, Ptolemy ended up ruling Egypt down here. And the big fight was for Antiochus to get a hold of Egypt and uh, and get a hold of this part of this empire over here. And he was always having to come up against Rome. Rome had their legions, and they would threaten everybody upon the earth and say, if you, if you don't get back to where you are and behave... But Antiochus was trying to build an empire like Rome. He wanted to rule Egypt. He wanted to rule Israel. He wanted to rule Jordan. He wanted to rule all of what we call Turkey. He wanted to rule all of this Iraq area, which was ancient Babylon, even over into Persia. He wanted the big piece of the pie, and it was Seleucus. And whenever you see Antiochus, that was a Seleucian king always come from Seleucus. You had sometimes, and they were kin. They were kin to people of Ptolemy. They they were had armies together. Their wives run together. Their children ran together. And they were intermarrying in their families. And you'll see once in a while, you'll see a Seleucus, uh, P-H-I-L, philopater. If you'll notice, I've taught you some Greek. You you see philos in here. That means affection. Affection for pater. Pater is the Greek word father. You've seen some, some uh, people from these Ivy League colleges talking about their mother and their father calling pater and mater well that's what this is pater is the word father so this means affection for the father but that was the name of some of them and that they also had that same name they might have p-h-i-l philo mater or mater philometer for some of the pharaohs of Egypt. It just shows you how they were kin to one another and they were fighting each other for the power of that empire. Philometer and Philopater. And then you had Cassander who was a murderer. Some believe that since Seleucus had gotten the lion's share of the empire, that Seleucus possibly is the one who killed his leader, Alexander the Great, in order to get... they Each one of them was very ambitious. They wanted to rule the world. And Seleucus was always attacking Egypt. Because that was just down the street from him. It's just right down here. And it was easier to attack him than to take ships and go over here. At one time, he took 800 men and a bunch of ships and attacked Asia. And Rome stepped in there and stopped him and made him, said, you cannot, you cannot try to annex anything 
east of the Taurus Mountains, which is another name for the Caucasus Mountains, you've got to stay away from this part. And Rome put the threat on him, says you've got to back off. He was the man that was the very picture of the man of sin. I'm going to try to read you some things out of these two books so you know where Hanukkah comes from. Hanukkah has nothing to do with Jesus. Nothing. It's the total opposite. And you know the Jews celebrate Hanukkah this time of the year because it was called the Feast of Hanukkah was called Feast of Dedication. It was the dedication of the temple after Judas Maccabeus cleansed it of all of Antiochus' lies and statues. He raised up a statue to Jupiter in there and called him in the temple of God and called him uh, Jupiter and called him Jehovah God. And the things he raised, one writer says that he believes he set up that Antiochus Epiphanes, he was mad at Israel because they were defending themselves and he says you cannot do that. Let me give you some of the information on Antiochus the Great. He decided to invade Egypt and I I want to refer to this book here in 11. All of this is happening in Daniel the 11th chapter, all of it. Daniel 11 chapters about Antiochus Epiphanes raising up in the temple, raising up gods in the temple because he's angry at Israel for defending themselves and tricking him and killing people that he sent to defile them. Let me look at this. All right. 11. I want to read it to you out of this book because... I can't say it better than he can. All right, eleven seventeen. Hold on here. All right, and let me read about the wickedness of us, Antiochus, Antiochus the Great. Antiochus the Great was the father of Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes was a sleaze. He was just full of all kinds of debauchery and just he would kill a man at the drop of a hat. The prophecy now turned to the infamous Antiochus Epiphanes. This is after the death of Antiochus the Great. Antiochus the Great, he died when he was trying to attack when he went into the temple of Baal or the Elimadian Zeus, one of the gods of Zeus, and the furious and local inhabitants, they slaughtered him and his attendants. That's in 11 and 19. Of Look at 11. Turn over to Daniel 11 and 19. 19. Then he shall turn his face toward the fort of his own land, and he shall stumble and fall and not be found. That's talking about Antiochus the Great. He died when he tried to... What he was trying to do was collect taxes that Rome had levied on him that were too much, and they couldn't pay them. And so he invades this temple of Zeus, and he's killed for doing that. 
Then along comes his son Antiochus, the God, or Antiochus Epiphanes. Then shall stand up in his estate a raiser of taxes. And that's what Antiochus was doing, trying to collect the taxes. The glory to the glory of kingdom. The glory of the kingdom of Israel was Jerusalem. But within a few days he shall be destroyed, neither in anger nor in battle. That's when Antiochus the Great was killed. And in his estate shall stand up a vile person. That's his son, Antiochus Epiphanes. To whom he shall give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. He flattered all the people in Syria. That was his method. He learned to be cunning, to be underhanded. And you couldn't believe any thing that Antiochus Epiphanes said or any peace treaty that he offered to you he would do that get a temporary peace and with the arms of a flood shall they be overflown from before him and shall be broken yea also the prince of the covenant and after the league made with him he shall work deceitfully this is talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. He was not an honest man. He had every kind of evil wickedness about him. For he shall come up and become strong with a small people. And he shall enter peaceably even unto the fattest places of the province of Egypt. And he shall do that which his fathers have not done, nor his father's fathers. He shall scatter among them the prey and spoil and riches, yea, he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds, even for a time. For a time means as long as God will let him do it, because he is working in the hand of God. And he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south. Now when it says the king of the south, it's talking about Egypt. And the Egypt, the Egyptian gods at that time was, look at this, was, was philometer, philometer, or an affection for the father. They actually took Greek words and named themselves characters of Greek words that was philometer now let me continue to read this he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of you can put Egypt in there for the south the king of the north with all of these characters would be the Syrian kings or the Seleucian kings the Antiochus then he says with a great army and the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a great and mighty army that is the Egyptian pharaoh which was a Ptolemy it wasn't the pharaohs like we think of them and shall forecast devices against him yea they that feed of the portion of his meat shall destroy him and his army shall overflow and many shall fall down slain 
he actually went tried to go back to his own land and he ran into other armies and there was a great slaughter and both these kings hearts shall be to do mischief to do evil talking about Ptolemy of Egypt and Seleucus or Antiochus of the north that's the, the king of the north is Antiochus the king of the south is the Ptolemy of Egypt but it shall not prosper they're deceitful when they sit down at one table they sit down to discuss a peace treaty and both of them have no intentions of bringing about peace this is the Ptolemy of Egypt and this is also the king of the north Antiochus and they're just deceiving and lying to each other as fast as they talk the end shall be as the time appointed then shall he return into his land talking about Antiochus he's going to go back up to his land with great riches and his heart shall be against the holy covenant in Israel so this all comes about you see the people that are ruling the world is wrong and they would tell you you can rule your nation but you got to go by our rules and when you don't do what we say we'll send our legions of armies in and crush you and that's what happened with Antiochus he was presuming to make his own empire so he could finally take on the Romans and Antiochus was a solution king and he wanted to outdo Cassander and Lysacomus and he wanted to overthrow Ptolemy and take over Egypt but something happened the people that were getting irritated was the Roman armies and the Roman Caesars they're saying we don't like what's happening the last we saw of Antiochus was in Rome as a hostage now the young Antiochus had been sent to Rome before he was king to be a hostage that the Romans were holding so that so that he could, could they could control the eastern part of the Roman Empire well they couldn't control that when his brother Seleucus took the Syrian throne after the death of Antiochus the Great his father Seleucus decided that he needed the younger Antiochus in Syria they sent him to Rome as a hostage that the Romans would hold Antiochus Epiphanes as a hostage and he was charming them all the time he's over there telling them how great they are and he didn't believe any of it his intentions was go back to Syria muster an army up and take over Rome a little at a time by first attacking Asia which is eastern western Turkey let me read some of this Seleucus decided that he needed the younger Antiochus or Antiochus Epiphanes in Syria probably thinking that his contacts at Rome could be to secure better terms for the impoverished kingdom of Syria so he arranged to send his own son Demetrius this is Seleucus the older brother Antiochus Epiphanes he was a king for a while when their father Antiochus the Great died and Seleucus wasn't ambitious and he set up a man 
named Heliodorus to collect taxes for all the people and he went down to collect taxes from Jerusalem and they would fight against him, do all kinds of things. And so he arranged to send his own son. This is what Seleucus did. Send his own son to Rome so they, in exchange for Antiochus Epiphanes, his brother. While Antiochus was on his way home from Rome, he stopped off at Athens. Athens. He stopped off right here. He's coming from Rome. Stops at Athens. When he's at Athens, he hears that his brother Seleucus has been murdered. And that Heliodorus, the tax collector, has tried to ascend to the throne. And he's just a tax collector. Of course, that don't do him much good. So, that claim was immediately contested by Ptolemy Philometer, which is the king of Egypt. Philometer. He's the king of Egypt, who claimed that the Syrian throne on the ground that his mother, Philometer, is now king of Egypt. And something has happened. Seleucus, Seleucus had been previously in this chapter, let me read verse 17 of chapter 11. He shall, shall also set his face to enter with the strength, this is Antiochus the Great before he dies. He also set his face to enter with the strength of the whole kingdom and upright ones with him. Thus shall he do. He shall give him the daughter of women, corrupting her, but she shall not stand on his side, neither be for him. So here's what happens. The Seleucian king, Seleucian king, earlier, while Antiochus the Great is still king, before he dies, Seleucus gives his daughter to the king of Egypt. And his daughter, Seleucus' daughter, Syrian daughter, was a woman named Cleopatra. She was not an Egyptian. She was a Syrian. And they did that to to bring about peace instead of war. They'd give daughters to them, then they'd have children. So they'd say, so the king up here would say, those are my grandchildren down there in Egypt. And they were mixing all kinds of marriages. So half the time, some kid in Egypt would be the grandson or the the nephew of some guy up here in Syria because they were giving their daughters that way. So Cleopatra was not an Egyptian. She was a Syrian. She was used, but she was not for her her the one she was given to. That's what it's saying here. Now, I've got to read to you before I lose time. All right.
Let me give this to you. It takes some time to get to it. Now, it might take me a couple of weeks to get through it, but that's okay. I want you to know what this is about. So I'm going to show you something out of this book. So you have, I have told you before that Antiochus was trying to attack Egypt and annex Egypt. Well, it doesn't do him any good because Rome sends an envoy down just about the time he's about to overthrow Egypt. There's four main fortress cities. One of them is Alexandria. That's the one he can't conquer. It's just too much of a fortress. Antiochus is trying to. And so at about the time of that happening, Rome sends an envoy down to Egypt. Now you've got two different accounts. You've got this account written by Charles Pfeffer. Then you have this account written by John Phillips. They're both basically the same thing. Mr. Phillips says... Mr. Phillips says that Antiochus is attacking Egypt. This envoy, we do not know his name, he sends a message down here to Antiochus. says, meet me on the island of Chittim. That's Chittim right there. Chittim is Cyprus. C-H-I-T-T-I-M. Chittim is Cyprus. He comes down there and he tells well he comes over to Cyprus. Now this is the way the way he puts it in here but it, it, he, he says he in this between the testament he says to meet me outside the the city of uh, Alexandria. Mr. Phillips says he said meet me outside the city of, of maybe on Cyprus or Chittim. And here's what happens. This envoy from Rome is so tired of Antiochus trying to rule the world. And Rome is ruling the world and he wants to build up an empire that's as strong as Rome. But he can't do it. He's got these other three generals fighting against him. But he is the force of that time period. Let me read this to you. One of Israel's darkest, this is out of between the Testaments. One of Israel's darkest periods began a systematic attempt to make, made to Hellenize the country by force, talking about Israel. Hellenize, Hellas, is a H-E-L-L-E-S, is a term for cultural Greece. They're trying to get Greece to worship their gods, Jupiter and Venus and all the rest of them, and they want them to use Greek culture and Greek languages. And Israel don't want any part of it. That's called Hellenizing them. An edict demanded the fusion of all nationalities of the Seleucid Empire into one people in Israel. Greek deities were to be worshipped by all 
an elderly Athenian philosopher was sent to Jerusalem to supervise the enforcement of the order. He identified the God of Israel with Jupiter and ordered a bearded image of the pagan deity, perhaps in the likeness of Antiochus, set up upon the temple altar. The Jews popularly spoke of this as the abomination of desolation. You recognize that from the New Testament. New Testament. Greek soldiers and their paramours, their women, perform licentious heathen rites in the very temple of God's courts. They were having sexual activity in there in the courts of God inside the temple. If this is the temple, the courts all around it. They're defiling the temple. Swine were sacrificed on the altar. Drunken orgy. That's what Christmas is, a drunken orgy. Associated with the worship of Bacchus, which was the god of wine, was made compulsory. Conversely, Jews were forbidden under penalty of death to practice circumcision, Sabbath observance, or the observance of feasts of the Jewish year, copies of Hebrew scriptures were ordered destroyed. This was a bleak time for the Jews. These laws promulgating Hellenism and proscribing Judaism were enforced with utmost cruelty. An aged scribe, Eliezer, was flogged to death because he refused to eat swine's flesh. He refused to eat ham and bacon. That was against God's law. A mother and her seven children were successively butchered in the presence of the governor for refusing, refusing to pay homage to an image. Two mothers who had been circumcised, who had circumcised their newborn sons, were driven through the city, cast headlong from the wall. Later ages may be exaggerated, the atrocities of Antiochus, but there is no possibility of seeing him as anything but an oppressor who merited the name Epimanes, the madman. He is the very picture of the man of sin in the Old Testament. By force of arms, the Hellenizing party had gained a victory. Menelaus continued as high priest, where once his sacrifice, his worship, was directed to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Now he served Jupiter. Yet the Hellenizers had gone too far. Their very zeal for quick defeat of the old order evoked a reaction which drove the Hellenizers out of power and brought into being an independent Jewish state. Now let me read this to you about when this envoy comes from Rome to talk to this to talk to Antiochus Epiphanes. And Rome was determined that Antiochus should not strengthen himself by annexing Egypt. In a famous scene outside the city of Alexandria, the Roman envoy demanded that Antiochus, before he stirred from a circle drawn around him on the ground, to promise to evacuate Egypt and not to attack Egypt, because we will send the Roman legions upon you, Antiochus. 
with dreams of grandeur suddenly dissipated, Antiochus turned back in bitterness and headed back up the road, and he was in fury. He was furious and in a rage as he left Egypt and come back to Israel and goes to Jerusalem and defiles the temple of God. Let me read something to you out of this other book. All right. I'll read this about 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 the same situation. All right. Antiochus. Page 86. 186. That's the page. All right. Antiochus was met by legates from Rome, Senate at Eleusis, four miles from Alexandria. This is supposed to be the same incident, according to John Phillips. He was handed an ultimatum by Popilius Lanus, ordering him, I guess that was the envoy, ordering him to leave the friends of the Roman people alone. They were calling Israel the friends of the Roman people. That's putting it very uh, sarcastically, I believe. And to evacuate Egypt immediately. Antiochus, trying his old game of prevarications, replied that he would consult with his advisors as to what should be done. The Roman, however, was not to be deceived by bluff. Antiochus was bluffing him. He took his staff and drew a circle in the sand around the Syrian king. Before you step out of the circle, he said, you give me your answer in conformance with the Senate's demands. Intimidated this international bully, talking about Antiochus, replied, If it so please the Senate, we must depart. So the empire of Alexander bowed to the newly emerging masters of the world, the Romans. The rage of Antiochus, here's what he did. The rage of Antiochus at this public humiliation and his urgent need to save face called for some kind of scapegoat or Israel. Tiny little Judea appealed to him as a place where he could safely take out his frustrations and do something to soothe his injured pride. The Jews had no formidable ally to defend them against Antiochus' wrath. This is a picture of the man of sin causing the sacrifice and the oblation to cease at the end of time. Of course, the sacrifice is going to be our bodies, a living sacrifice, because we are the temple of God. And the oblation was the bread offering, and we being many are one bread and one body. The prophetic text tells of Antiochus and his revenge. Antiochus, that's in the 30th and 35th verse, 30th through the 35th verses of Daniel 11. Let's stop and look at that just a minute. 30th, for the ships of Chetum shall come 
treat him as Cyprus, that's where he was told to go and meet this envoy against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return and having indignation against the holy covenant of God or the holy people of God in Jerusalem. He's south in Jerusalem. He's been insulted and, and made to feel ashamed by this envoy from Rome. And now he's told, you've got to get out of Egypt. He was a formidable man long as Rome didn't, as long as Rome stayed out of his business. But they're not going to stay out. They're running the show. So shall he do and shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenant. There's some in Israel, he said, you have to become Hellenized. And a part of Israel would say, okay, we'll worship your God Jupiter. We'll worship Venus. We'll worship the grove as we have done before. And we're willing to do that. We will not circumcise anymore. We won't keep any of the Sabbaths or any of the festival days. So they were forsaking the holy covenant of God. One of the writers said when Antiochus got into Israel, he would make the men drop their pants. And if they had been circumcised, he would tell them to to do away with their their commitment to Jehovah God and to renege on that and make an allegiance to the gods of Greece. And if they wouldn't do that, they'd be killed on the spot. And the arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength. They're going to pollute the sanctuary of God by offering a sacrifice of swine on the altar. The altar that only holy sacrifices are to be offered on. The altar is right outside. That altar right there. Right in front of the door of the temple. Why was God doing all this? So he could call the Gentiles to repentance. Romans eleven eleven. And take away the daily sacrifice and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. The funny thing is in the Gospels, the Bible talks about this man of sin at the end of time. And Antiochus was the very picture of the man of sin. Antiochus Epiphanes. If you notice Epiphanos, it means to shine over Epiphanos, Epiphanes comes from Epi and Phanos. I've told you that already. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flattering all the people of Israel. He goes in there and flatters the people that says they're willing to go with him and the ones that don't, he kills them. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Their exploit means to make war. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame and by captivity, by spoil many days. Antiochus is going to take them off into, into captivity as slaves. If they won't give in to him and denounce their worship to Jehovah God. That's the same thing 
that the flesh does to us when I said predestination was the same thing as cleansing this temple of God. Hanukkah was cleansing the temple of God over there. And for two years, the temple of God was left filthy while they offered swine. Even said they raised up, one said that they raised up an Ashtaroth, a tree goddess, a grove in the temple of God. And this temple has been defiled by sin in America, not just by Christmas, but by all the other sin of the flesh. Now when they shall fall, they shall be hoping with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. The way that Antiochus was always charming people, he charmed Philometer down in Egypt with smooth words. He charmed the people in Syria to get back to where he was the ruler of Syria after his brother had ruled and after that tax collector had tried to assume the throne and finally had them all killed. And some of them, understanding, shall fall to try them and purge and to make them white even to the time of the end because it is yet for the time appointed. And the king shall do according to his will and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself. Talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. Above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished for that is determined shall be done. Neither shall Antiochus Epiphanes regard the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. Women won't turn him around. Good-looking women can't turn him around. Reminds me of the same thing when the when the Persians attacked Israel, the Bible says the desire of women won't help them. They're not going to be seduced by anything. Cyrus is going to destroy Babylon when he came in to attack it. For he shall magnify himself above all. Now let me read what Mr. Phillips says about all of this. The prophetic text tells of Antiochus and his revenge. He's going to take revenge on Israel because he was ordered to get out of out of Egypt. And he sent the general Apollonius and a force of 22,000 men to attack Jerusalem. Their massacre of worshipers in the temple was only the beginning of sorrows. The text tells the next how Antiochus insulted Jehovah. The attack on Jerusalem took place on the Sabbath day when thousands were attending their religious duties. The troops ravaged the city, tearing down buildings, spreading terror. They occupied the citadel, overlooking the temple, and repaired it, building massive walls and garrisoning it with Syrian troops. We're talking about in Jerusalem. And the Syrian troops are coming and possessing the castle around the temple. That's what a citadel is. Then Antiochus issued a decree calling on everyone on pain of death to join a universal religion and obey universal laws 
which were Grecian laws that he had adopted, all had to conform to Greek religion. The Jewish temple was consecrated to Jupiter, Jupiter Olympus and Antiochus, identifying himself with the pagan god, demanded that he himself be worshipped also. Antiochus says, I'm a god, worship me. If you don't, you die. He ordered an immediate cessation of all Jewish sacrifices, all observance of the Sabbath and ceremonial observances. He destroyed copies of scriptures. He placed the annual feast of tabernacles with a feast of Bacchus, the god of wine. The feast of Bacchus was an orgy. And he perverted the youth of the city with vile practices. Worst of all, Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple. He built an idol altar over the brazen altar. Then he installed above it what the sacred text calls the abomination that makes desolate, which some take to be an image of Zeus, the pagan thunder of Olympus, that would have been bad enough. But there are those who think the image he erected was an Asherah, a tree goddess in the temple. The sex symbol, the tree goddess, was Venus, always worshipped in the form of a triangle, had a star on top because they were worshipping the stars. The Bible says it had a platform on it because it moved not. They believe it was an Asher, the sex symbol associated with groves, Christmas tree. That is the pubic triangle, whether anybody believes it or not. You can look that up on the Internet. High places in pagan Canaanite religion. Whatever it was, was an abomination. The Greek word abomination is B-D- E-L-U-G-M-A. It means to stink. That's what abomination means. And the and Antiochus Epiphanes is the old Old Testament picture of the man of sin. And he goes on to say, whatever it was was an abomination. The desecration of the sanctuary was the crowning calamity for Israel and the fact that God had permitted it is the proof of his displeasure with his people he permitted it he arranged it Romans eleven eleven. did Israel sin just to sin God forbid they sin so salvation could come to the Gentiles you and I that means God arranged it all and God arranges his anger. If God's going to have anger, if there's going to be evil, is there evil in a city? God says, and I have not done it. Amos, the third chapter. All this was arranged by God so he could call the Gentiles to his light. Everyone was commanded to burn incense to the gods of Greece. To disobey or to be caught with a copy of the scriptures was to be killed without mercy. Now, how are they going to get out of this? Matthias and his sons and his followers. Judas Maccabeus was their leader. 
And Judas Maccabeus led his sons against the forces. He was like guerrilla warfare. And Judas Maccabeus was the hero. He was the Lone Ranger in this picture. He was Zorro. He was the savior of the Jews. He comes in and runs the the people of Antiochus. He conquers them in a battle and he cleanses the temple. And after two years of them defiling this temple, having all kinds of sexual acts in the temple, Judas Maccabeus, 164 B.C., on December the 25th, the birthday of their gods, Jupiter, or Mithra, or Hercules, December the 25th. That's December the 21st, is the winter solstice, longest nights of the year. So they set up the worship of these gods. And the sons of Mattathias came in and they took the temple back and dedicated the temple in 164 B.C. on December the 25th. They threw out of the temple the worship of these tree gods and goddesses and sun gods. Jupiter was the sun god, and they had an asteroid in the temple. That was the tree goddess, and that was the Christmas tree, and they threw that out on December the 25th. And we've been predestined to conform to the likeness of Christ. Judas Maccabeus was the guy that got rid of it. And under his, he was like the head of the family going forward on a great white horse saying, Charge! Kill these people. These these Syrians that come in here and have polluted Jerusalem with Christmas. That's why predestination is the same thing as, it's the same thing as Hanukkah. And they had an eight-day festival after they dedicated the temple, they called that a rededication or a dedication of the temple. Now that's really funny. What I want us to do is go over here to John John the twenty second chapter I believe it is or the second chapter 22nd verse let me move these books out of the way Jesus is coming into the temple and when he comes to the temple he comes in on the Feast of Dedication, that was Hanukkah. And everybody didn't say, Happy Birthday, Jesus. They didn't say that. It was in commemoration of the Feast of Lights. If you ever hear of Feast of Lights, that was celebration of the cleansing of the temple and getting Christmas out of the temple of God. And we're predestined to be conformed to the image, to the icon, the likeness of Jesus. 
predestination and Hanukkah are the same. They're the same thing. Turn over here to Matthew, the 24th chapter. Matthew 24. And the apostles come to Jesus. And they said, Lord, when are these things going to be when the temple, one stone will not be left upon another? How much time do I have, Mike? What What's going to be the sign when one stone will not be left upon another? And And what's going to be the sign of that coming and of the end of the world? And he starts off and he says, there'll be signs. Many will come in my name. They'll say that I am Christ. They won't say they're Christ. They'll say that Jesus is Christ. And they'll deceive many. It'll be people like these positive confession people. People like a bunch of Baptists who talk about accept Christ and pray a sinner's prayer in your home for you. And you can't pray a sinner's prayer when you're dead in sin. You cannot accept anything spiritual when you're dead. And then he goes on to say all these things are going to happen. He says nation will rise against nation. That's actually, that's in verse 7. Ethnos will rise against ethnos. Nation rise against nation there shall be famines and pestilence that's one of the few places pestilence is mentioned in the New Testament famines famine is one of the judgments of God pestilence is judgment of God nation rising against nation is sword sword famine and pestilence is all mentioned in this verse right here nation rising against nation is the sword Famine is mentioned. Famine, sword, famine, pestilence, and the beast will rise up. And these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, in verse 9, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Why don't preachers tell people that you're supposed to be hated by the world? Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another I believe that's talking about believers are going to betray It's unbelievers have always betrayed I've had so many people come to this ministry that have betrayed me and I haven't done anything to them I've had them come up and start ministries down the street just within the shouting distance of our doors and that's called building on another man's foundation. Have you not read the 15th chapter of Rome, Romans? You try to pull people away from this ministry to get them to come to yours. You're building on another man's foundation. They would go out and find a place and find some rock to build a foundation on. They would clear out the foundation, might have to go off to work somewhere, and some other guy come in and build on that foundation. That's what it means. Where was I? Verse 10. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another, 
and shall hate one another. I believe that's talking about believers because unbelievers have always hated each other. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love, the agape of many, will wax cold. Agape is walking in the commandments of God, just Second John 6. In other words, this will be believers that quit walking in the commandments of God. And that's happening today. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Endure is the word hupomone, hupo, or hupomeno. The word patience is hupomone. It's just the noun form of the word hupomeno. The ones who have patience to the end, the same will be saved. And then he says, And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations. That happened at Pentecost in Acts 2. Men from every nation under heaven, and Peter stood and preached the gospel that day. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. What he's saying is the way it happened in the Old Testament is the way it's going to happen in the New. There's going to be a man of sin running the show, just like like Antiochus Epiphanes. And he's going to defile the temple of God. What is the temple now? The Bible says in Colossians 2.14, God blotted out the handwriting of rituals. All the rituals of the Jews are gone. There's a temple now. The Bible says, know you not, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If the man of sin is going to defile the temple of God, he's going to have to defile this temple, which temple ye are, this one. And there has to be a sacrifice offered in this temple. And the sacrifice is our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. We're going to have to lay our bodies down. We may have to lay them down literally. A day will come when they'll start killing Christians again. And over here, they defiled the temple. We don't know what all they did. But they set up somewhere in the temple of God, a temple of Jupiter. They set up a tree goddess in there. There was a, a yard outside of that. Had a gate up here and a gate here and a gate here and a gate here. And they had, they had defiled the temple. Well, if you defile the temple over here, it'll be the believers. And they will demand that we cannot offer sacrifice in this temple anymore. And that is our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And that the, the sacrifice and the oblation ceased over here. And the sacrifice was daily... Here, a lamb in the morning, a lamb in the evening at sundown, 
and they would offer a bread offering, which was called an oblation. There'll be a man that's head of the world system over here. It might be like George Bush Sr. said, a new world order. That will be a beast. That was the same thing it was in the ancient world. It was Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, and they ruled all the world over here. They're talking about bringing all nations together to having one law and one currency. That's what they're talking about now. That's the beast. You might have to give your life for it, Jim Brown. You know what? I'm ready to. And I've been so tired of this world with all the liars in it, all the people claiming to believe God. What would be the bread offering over here? The Word of God, they'll forbid us from teaching this truth. This is the bread of life. It will not be somebody trying to stock a sacrifice on the on the temple mount because the temple mount right now is occupied. It's occupied by the Dome of the Rock. And that's Muslim. And there's no way you can remove the Dome of the Rock without causing World War Three. That'll be a national war with the Muslims. It's not that temple. There's nobody besides that. What if you could get a temple on the Dome of the Rock and start offering a lamb in it? That would be an abomination to God, stink to God, when you say you're offering a lamb as a sacrifice because the lambs have ceased, Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of rituals of offering lambs. Jesus was the one sacrifice, Hebrews, the 10th chapter, offered once for all. So the bread and the sacrifice, the bread and the oblation, the the sacrifice and the oblation is going to be us give our bodies a living sacrifice. And we being many are one bread because Christ is in us. That's the sacrifice and oblation. It would stink to God for somebody to start offering a lamb, for a Jewish people to start offering a lamb in a literal temple over there. God will say, I won't have nothing to do with that. That stinks to me. I don't know why nobody's thought of that but me. Well, read that with me. Do I have any time, Mike? Ten. Ten. Hebrews. Look at this. I didn't make this up. But you have to know what blotting out the handwriting of ordinances means. It means all the rituals were blotted out when Jesus was nailed to the cross. When you did away with one sacrifice, when you did away with one contract, you take the two contracting parties out in public, the two the two witnesses that were uh, privy to the contract, it says everybody agreed we're going to annihilate the old contract. They'd say yes, and you drive a nail through it, blotting out the handwriting of which is contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's what the nailing to his cross means. All the rituals are gone. Well, then, if anybody starts offering a sacrifice at a little temple, that'll stink to God, wouldn't it? So the abomination that makes desolate 
is going to be in us. They're going to tell us you cannot give your bodies a living sacrifice by going out and sharing your your conviction of the truth of God's word because that's the bread and that will cease and our bodies a living sacrifice will cease. They might put us in jail or they might just kill us. But you know what? I'm ready for that. I'm tired. I've never been so tired. I've never been so tired of a world as I am this one. Look over here in Hebrews. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. And he says here in verse 1, For the law having a shroud of good things to come, and not the very image of the law, He's talking about the rituals of the law. They were blotted out. Can never with those sacrifices which offered year by year continue to make the commerce there too perfect. For then they would not have ceased to be offered because that the worship... They have been ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged would have no more conscience for sin. Then he says up here, and he says... In verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there's remembrance again of sins every year. And he says that the blood of bulls and goats do not take away sins in verse 4. So he starts contrasting the Old Testament with the New. And he says uh, in verse 6, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, God, you don't have any pleasure in them. Then said I, Lo, I come, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering, and burnt offerings, and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He take away the first commandment, Old Testament, that he may establish the second, the new. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. No more sacrifices. They're all blotted out. Then why can a man sit on, get on the temple mount and offer a lamb in a temple when he was the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Then he says, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. Only Jesus being offered takes away sin. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever set down at the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies may made his footstool. For by one offering, the offering of Christ, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. One offering. No more lambs. So anybody that starts offering an offering in a literal temple, that'll stink to God. I can't believe that preachers can't see this. Wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is witness to us, 
For after that he has said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them no longer on tables of stone. I hope you can see this about about Hanukkah is the same thing as predestination. God's predestined us to conform and get rid of this outer man in this spiritual righteous temple of God that we live in. You can't... They're not going to build a temple. People say they found a, uh, they found the temple to mount and they found a place to build it. I want to see you go over and try to run those Arabs off the temple mount. I want to see you try that. Well, war would break out to beat the band. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Not because of lambs that were offered, because of Christ, the one sacrifice. Now where a remission of these is, no, there is no more offering for sin. There's no more offering, no more lambs, no more goats. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest of holies. The Holy of Holies was the inner sanctuary where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the high priest, and now our high priest, is priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, out of the tribe of Judah, as spoken in Hebrews, the seventh chapter. By new living, hodos. Hodos is the word way. And there's a narrow way and a broad way. And it's the narrow way by which he enters into the Holy of Holies, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. The veil equals the flesh. The flesh equals the bread. The bread is the body. The body is the church. This is all very figurative language. And having a high priest over the house of God. Whose house are we? And the high priest is Jesus, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he sprinkles our hearts, just like the high priest over in the Old Testament sprinkled the Ark of the Covenant on the Day of Atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, not the Ark of the Covenant. This is all spiritual through this chapter. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Pure water was living water. Jesus told the woman at the well, I'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again. She said, how can you do that? This well of Jacob is very deep. He said, I'm not talking about that living water down there. That's literal living water. Anything that flows through a stream and is pure and cold. But I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. That's pure water. Our bodies are washed with the Holy Spirit. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, without leaning away, eclinus, without wavering. Now, which verse was I in? Hold fast the perfect faith without wavering. And let us consider one another, provoke unto love, agape, and good works, not forsaking the assembly together. A lot of people use that, say, shouldn't I go to church somewhere? No, only go assemble together with people of like belief as the truth. 
as the manner of some is. Don't mean go to a Baptist church where they teach free will and they teach accept Christ and sinner's prayer for salvation. Don't go there. Exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we believers sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. But there is a certain fearful looking for the judgment and fire indignation of God upon the believer. He scourges every son he receives. It's a bloody beating when you're not obedient, which shall devour the adversary. The adversary is the outer man that wants to go after sin. I've run out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Help the people see this, that that Hanukkah is in opposition to Christmas. It agrees with predestination. Fight our battles for us. Keep us in this faith. Strengthen the sheep. We'll praise you for everything. In Christ's name, amen. Lord, help us. Well, that sure was a lot of stuff, wasn't it? Oh. Oh, I do have these copies of these papers that I wrote up here. If people want them, come get them. Since this Hanukkah thing, do they still celebrate it, or how does that work? They celebrate with Christmas, and they all get drunk. It's just stupid. They don't even know what it's about. Is that the same thing as, uh, what is the... Uh, on the seventh day of Christmas uh, that. no that's 12 days of Christmas that's another thing it just it's all a corruption the people that celebrate Hanukkah celebrate Christmas and they don't know their exact opposites it's dumb when do you think that got convoluted I, over the years just when they found that, that Hanukkah was December the 25th it was the birthday of their son God that they cleansed the temple on and they just mixed them together. And they just said, well, we won the war on, in World War II when Japanese gave up, so let's go celebrate Japanese holidays. It's dumb. It's just stupid. That was originally a Japanese holiday? Huh? It wasn't originally a Japanese holiday, was it? What? Um, I'll just use that as an example. Oh, example. <laughs> It's just dumb. It's ignorant. It's kind of like just taking two things that are opposite each other. Say, let's put them together. It don't make any sense, Zach. Of course, no politicians make any sense. No preachers make any sense. I don't hear anybody that knows much of anything about anything. If they want to kill me, they sh- I'm going to ask them to shoot straight because I, I don't want to be crippled. Go ahead and shoot me. I've just never been so tired of the world. People are just... People are disgustingly dumb, stupid. And you can't tell them. And they willingly will want to be stupid. They're willingly ignorant. That's what the Bible says. Huh? They want an easy way to live, and there ain't no easy way to live. So you say you want to 
want that. They want that easy Jesus. That's what they want. Art. You've talked to anybody lately? Mm-hmm. Haven't. Do you have any kids? Yeah, I got two girls. Now my little girl, my youngest, she used to come with me. She what? My youngest daughter used to come with me. Did she? When I could get Well. You too. Zach, I love you. See you Saturday. I don't see how you kids can stay up so late. Past my bedtime. <laughs> well, I read so many things tonight. I love you, Zach. See you Saturday. Okay. You can't tell people these things. They don't want to hear it. No, it's too in-depth. It's too in-depth. They don't want anything in-depth. Give me a sentence and make me understand calculus in one sentence. Well, that ain't possible. When you in-depth, you shut them down. Huh? When you hit that in-depth, you shut them down. Yeah, they they don't want to hear it. They want life simple. They don't know that part. They don't want to talk about the part they know. Well, you can't go to college and graduate without having some complicated things. And you can't learn the Bible without being complicated. Well, I wouldn't say complicated. I would say detailed. There's a lot of detail. There's a lot of details to the Bible. And you can't have it your way. No. I've got to go take this microphone off. I forget that sometimes. No. You want to take that home with you? No, I don't. Okay. All right. I gotta come back in anyway. I love you, Lily. I love you too, Jim. I love you, John. I love you, Teresa.